0: Now, in a normal year, and so far nothing about this year has been normal, but in a normal year, the more savvy churchgoer would hear this morning's collection of readings and instinctively know that they were going to hear a sermon about stewardship. Now, think about it. Each reading points to God's inordinate generosity, whether it's manna and meat for the complaining Israelites in the desert, for sending God's people out of Egypt with silver and gold that we heard in today's song, And especially in today's gospel reading. Guaranteed to confuse employer and employee li- alike, the parable of the vineyard laborer overwhelms any notion of what might be fair with a resounding show of generosity. And if God's this generous, why wouldn't we all be equally generous with what we have and, you know, make a pledge? Yes, this week's readings are tailor-made for a stewardship sermon, and who am I to disappoint the many of you who I know are eager to hear yet another plea for generosity? There are a lot of you, right? Of course, you know I'm kidding. And I hope you haven't already switched away from this broadcast to watch the National Cathedral live stream or something like that. Chances are they'll be talking about stewardship as well, so you might as well stick with us. The stewardship dance that clergy, vestry, and congregation take up each year won't ever make it into the highlight reel of big achievements of the church. Keeping the staff paid and the lights on is just not something that's very exciting, something that's just not very sexy. It's much more exciting to talk about the Petroselli Pavilion that's about to be built on the site where the old middle building stands we about worship plans for Advent and Christmas that we've just started working on. But we have to talk about stewardship, about how God's undeniable generosity should be enough to make us all the more generous with our pledge. But like everything else this year, this annual stewardship campaign is, well, different, reflecting the unique times we're living in. It starts with the theme, what does church mean to you when we can't all be together? The initial ask is not a request for money or a pledge, but but for consideration, for thought. It's a call for reflection. What does this Christian life mean when we aren't all getting together every Sunday in church and sharing? The Christian faith is, more than anything, a collective thing, something shared between believers, all the way back to Jesus' gathering of his disciples or Paul's letter to his churches, the bedrock of our belief is something we share together. See it's not natural to be isolated like we are to be watching this service from our phones or our computers where we're mimicking the movements of the literature, liturgy but we're not really present. We're sort of we're watching. But that's the situation we find ourselves in. And according to many the situation that will continue well into the coming year. So what does church mean when we can't all be together? preparation for this sermon, I I worried over this question for several days. Our small 9 a.m. in-person gatherings these past couple of Sundays have been a reminder of what we're missing. They've been a wonderful chance to come together, to remember what it's like to stand, sit, and deliver the responses together in unison, to hear other voices. They fed our souls like something remembered after it was very nearly forgotten that doesn't answer the deeper question about what church means when we can't all be together, does it? Because it's only our small group of us who can come together each week, and even that's a fraction of our normal weekly activities that keep the St. Peter's campus popping. Normally, we'd have Bible studies and servant leader classes, and we're still barely halfway through Richard Rohr's Universal Christ in our book club, the remainder of the book waiting for, waiting for us, as if on ice. And normally our Wednesday afternoon silence would be broken by shouts from the EYC room as a growing number of views na- get, gather noisily after school. And speaking of noise, we're, we're missing the wonderful noise of the church lobby on Sunday morning as we gather around Claire's wonderful spread of food and talk and laugh and maybe learn. Our ten Talks are on hold at the moment. I mean, sure, we could move these to Zoom as well, but but would it be the same? Learning new things together, physically together, carries a certain thrill that's missing from our weekly computer-enabled gatherings. Church in general, and St. Peter's in particular, is more than a physical place, more than something on the corner of Prince and Mitchell Streets. As I've spoken with many of you over the past years, I think St. Peter's can be an answer to the why of life. It's more than a place to feed your mind in classrooms, work together to help the underserved on Saturdays and during the week, and gather in praise and worship on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's much bigger than that. You see, church helps us answer the big questions that have haunted humans from the beginning of time. Questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose? Who is my neighbor? Because without a place like St. Peter's, the answer to those questions becomes kind of mundane, kind of boring, an accident of fate maybe. If I'm here because of the work I do, or if my purpose is to navigate this short time we share on earth without going broke, or if my neighbor is just a happy accident of location and timing, then, then really what's the bigger point, why? In moments like these, I don't envy the atheist who doesn't have the rudder of belief that we share to navigate life's big questions. You see, church, when done right, which means messy and human, helps us understand why we're here. So even though we can't all come together, St. Peter's is a place to help me with the why of life questions that sometimes keep me awake at night. And that alone is a reason for generosity. Now, a normal stewardship campaign, if there is a normal, would probably focus on the gospel, on Jesus' para- and Jesus' parable would probably leave us all, myself included, scratching our collective heads. In what universe would the workers who show up at five o'clock be given the same wage as those who worked all day? Now, the answer is, of course, God's universe with its universal generosity, And this would lead us to a call for us all to mimic God's generosity and quickly hand in those pledge cards. But faced this past week with another week of economic unsteadiness, social unrest, political division, continued pandemic fears, and oh yeah, let's add in a massive wildfire in the West and yet another hurricane in the Southeast. It's safe to say it's all starting or has been for a long time a bit overwhelming. It reminds me of one of my favorite lines from the Modern Family TV show. Just what part of the Old Testament are we moving to? It feels like we're in Old Testament times. In another week of unrest and turmoil, I find myself seeking solace and understanding somewhere else, specifically in Paul's opening words to his church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now here Paul's writing from prison, again, it happens, and this time for he has a very real fear that his life might end. In the opening verses, he muses on whether it'd be better to end it all so he can be with Jesus sooner, or stick around so he can serve. He quickly decides it's better to serve, not because he fears death. Remember, he tells us, dying is gain. He knows he has work to do with his churches, with his neighbor. How many of us can identify with Paul at this point? His world seemed wrecked, upside down full of danger. His future seems scary. And even when considering his own death, his immediate impulse is to serve. I think we can learn from that. He wants to get his friends to live their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So Paul can be proud when he hears about them or if he survives, when he actually sees them. If church, if St. Peter's, reminds us of the answers to the whys of life, Then Paul is showing us another thing that church can mean to us when we can't be together. It can show us how to live. You see, Paul's isolated, like us, writing from his prison cell. Instead of obsessing about himself and his situation, he reaches out. He serves, even at a distance. In this case, he serves the troubled people of Philippi. He guides them all to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. To strive side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. These days we might stride side by side at a safe social distance, but we are still called to move forward with one mind the faith of the gospel of Christ. We're not intimidated by the forces of darkness that threaten to overwhelm us. You see, Paul speaks to us from darkness, and he speaks to us in our darkness and reminds us why we gather, either virtually or in real life. We gather in faith. He guides us into how we live together in a time when we're forced to be apart. Church, St. Peter's specifically, I think can help us with the whys of life and the hows of living a gospel-shaped life. Whether we're together or apart, this place is so much more than a couple of buildings near the corner of Prince and Mitchell Streets in Conway, Arkansas. It's a way of understanding the big questions and maybe, just maybe, molding ourselves to fit into a gospel-shaped life. And if that includes being a little extra generous and helping us meet our stewardship goals, so be it. There will be plenty of chances in the coming weeks for you to think about that one. Thanks be to God. Amen.